0: I want to introduce our speaker for the morning, we all know him, it's uh pretty excited. We, we had a great discussion last week, it was, Ethan, about what he's going to preach about. So I'm pretty excited this morning. Um, so if we can just, I want to pray for you, my brother, for Ethan Evans as he comes to the front. Lord, I pray this morning for my brother. Is he going to share the word? We pray, Father, that he'll speak from you and he will speak as you as put this word on his heart. God, we, we know he's a confident guy. What we pray for, the God confidence this morning as he unpack and share from your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Ethan. The <laughs> oh, perfect! Thank you. All right. Good morning, everybody. I'm sure you're all wondering why I have a rock. I'll let you know later. That is, so I am uh, originally pastor trained through Children's Church, and we always would have an object lesson sitting there, and the kids would be like, "What's that going to be about?" And it just sat there. Sometimes we never used it. And sometimes we did, it just kept the kids' attention, and I figured we're still all kids at heart, and that kind of works. So the rock is sitting there. All right, but it will be used later. That might scare you a little, I don't know. But let's talk about this. All right, today, um, if you remember last time, I was talking about uh, the Holy Spirit, and we were going through that, and I was like, oh, cool. Cool. I'll continue on that. There's a lot about the Holy Spirit. I had this great thing. I was like, we're going to talk about this and this. We'll probably go to Corinthians. It'll be fun. And then, as Emilio said, we had breakfast one morning, and I sat there, and I was in the van, and I was about to walk over to uh, Daily Paper there on Main Street. I was like, God's like, I was like, that sermon, that isn't it it God. Like, it just wasn't what I wanted. I'm like, it wasn't there. It wasn't there anymore. And, And God's like, yep, Genesis 3. That's all I got. I'm like, oh, Genesis 3. Thank you so much, Lord. If you don't know what that is, that's the original sin. That is where sin entered humanity. I'm like, thank you, Lord. Sin, what a wonderful topic to talk about. Thank you so much. I was like, okay, fine, fine. We'll talk about it. We'll give you know, Ethan's version of what original sin is, and you'll get a little taste of that today. And I'm like, all right, I can deal with that. You know, that's that's fine. And then I had breakfast with Jason the next week. And in between that time, our conversation and after Jason, just to let you know, I was like, well, it's going to be a little bit of a hard hitter, actually. This is kind of morphing into something I wasn't ready for. And I was like, all right. Thanks again, Lord, I will be obedient. So if you're mad at me today, blame God. That's all I gotta say. I am totally going to throw God under the bus, all right? I have no problems with that because this is God's word and I'm only gonna be obedient. And if I taught about the Holy Spirit last time I was up here and we talked about obedience and being subject and making sure we're obedient, and I'm going to be talking about obedience today, I probably should be obedient right? So we are going to talk about this. And I think Charlie preaches next week, and so he's going to love the fact that I'm taking on this kind of hard hitter, because whoever comes after a hard hitter like this, everybody loves, no matter what. (laughs) So I may ruffle some feathers. I may flat out make some of you upset today. All I ask is that you listen. Listen until the end. Because the topic is sin. And if I were gonna give this title today, because I know you need a title for Facebook probably, is How We Deal with Sin. How We Deal with Sin. Richard, you kinda of gave me the soft introduction, so I appreciate all those things about everything. You know, these past few weeks and months have been pretty tragic. Let's just be really honest. Our country has been in a lot of turmoil, a lot, and it's not because of gas prices. That's not it. We're just in a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of tragic events, and my heart breaks. It breaks because of what's happening in communities, but what breaks more is the responses I see from some Christians and churches because, guess what, Facebook, social media, everything like that. Recently, another denomination had a sex abuse scandal. Huge cover-up. If you're not aware of it, I'm not saying you have to go research it, but it is, it is a stain against us. When you have to go out and witness, this is out there. These are the things that the world have seen. And how sin was dealt with in that I am not necessarily going to sit here and say, I understand it all, but I can say, it should have never been tolerated. But yet it was. Then we have mass shootings. Shooting after shooting after shooting. We sit here and we see people say, well, I have my Second Amendment. I should have the right to own a gun. Why do we need gun control? Why do we need gun laws? I don't know, because I don't know how many people just got sent to hell. Do you? If you don't know, I'm a military chaplain. I support and defend the Constitution of the United States. I do not support mass murder. I do not support the access to guns, but yet there are people in the church who will sit there behind it and put the Second Amendment above this. Do we see a problem? When the Constitution becomes idolatry, patriotism, parties become idolatry. It's amazing the stories you hear about them. I wonder what would happen if the church was there. Loving, coming around, being something different. This one might sting a little bit more. June, it's Pride Month. Wait, did he just really say that from the pulpit? Yep, it's Pride Month. Let me say it from here right now. Homosexuality is a sin. It has no place in the church. We will talk about that in a little while. But the posts, side comments being made by Christians, our response to the world and sinners needs to stop because that's just a sin. The moment our words are not of Christ and stop someone from ever hearing the gospel, you might as well tell us, just tie that millstone around your neck. Because why would I ever want my words or actions hindering anyone from hearing the gospel? We have a sin problem since creation. Well, not since creation, really. You get it. The fall of man. It has been in our history, sadly, for much of it. It is why we sing the songs we sing today. It's why we are here. It is why we believe in Christ, because sin is sin. So how do we find our place in this world with such sin around us? Where does the church stand, and how do we respond with sin all around us? And that is what God has put on my heart today. We're going to look at sin first, briefly, to understand what it is and what God's response is and what's going on at a spiritual level for us. And then we're going to look really, and where we're really going to dive in, is how do we deal with it personally, corporately, and our interactions with those outside the church or the sinner's. I'm gonna be going out of my usual characteristics, right? You guys are probably used to me preaching in one spot. And I sit there. I really love doing that, but you can't do this sermon that way. Just can't. It's too much to cover. But I got plenty of time. Just so you know, I usually ignore that clock. Actually that's the first time I've ever seen the clock used on me. That was kind of impressive. I might be getting the hint, but probably won't. So, like I said, still God put Genesis 3 on my heart. And that's where we're going to start. But we're going to go and see the words of Jesus and the apostles. But again, we must start with the origins of sin, with humanity. So that you can, can you please turn with me to Genesis 3? It's going to be 1 through 6. Just so you know, I'm also going to reference a lot of scriptures here. I'm not going to read them all because there's a clock. All right, and and I will tell you what those scripture references are, but we are going to look at certain ones to get the idea, and then I will continue with some thoughts on that. So let's look at Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than other beasts, nor the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall need of any tree in this? or shall not eat of any tree in the garden and the woman said to the serpent well we may not eat of we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden but god said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden neither shall you touch it lest you die but the serpent said to the woman you will surely not die for god knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be Like God. Let me say that again. You will be like God. Knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food. And that it was a delight to the eyes. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. I begin I could preach a whole sermon on this one, but that's just the starting point, All right? Let me give this overview. What is the origin of sin and God's response? It is, to me and what I read and why I reemphasize that one little part, we want to be our own God. You can call it own God complex, the OGC, if you like abbreviations. Made that up this morning. All right, the OGC. My kids are like, Lord, please stop him. Anyways, our original sin is we want to be our own God. I want to be like God. And that's our temptation every day. But to be in obedience means... You have some sort of, one, free will. You cannot be obedient. You can't even love. You can't do any of these things without free will. But obedience requires, one, free will, and two, an authority you're willing to submit to. I mean, let's be honest. How many of us, you know, I get it. It's not always the greatest out there. But we're probably happy for traffic laws. Just saying. <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be mass chaos out there. Right? Right? Because which direction are you going to drive on? That alone is a nice uh, rule to have, right? So we made traffic laws, city laws, state laws, federal laws. We probably got rules at work, and we're willing to submit to that authority to some level, right? We all understand what obedience is. It's submitting us under some sort of authority. And if we don't like that authority, (laughs) we rebel. Okay, Right? There's that rebellious part. We're like, we don't like this authority. The problem is, is that when you rebel against God, (laughs) there is no higher authority than God. And God's like, "Eh." (laughs) sorry, that's sin. Right? And so we have to understand that first, is that, you know, we want to be our own God. When we disobey God, we're basically saying, you know what, God, I think I know better than you. Or I want to do things my way, not your way. Remember Jesus' prayer for all of us? Your will, not my will. Those who want to serve themselves says, my will, not your will. It's the reverse. And that's why we say, I want to do what I want to do. If it feels good, do it. But God also says in his scripture, throughout his scripture, God wants obedience over sacrifice right? You see this in First Samuel and Proverbs and Deuteronomy. I'm not going to go to all those places. But what's important to understand, though, is that though sacrifice was needed, that was for the appeasement of the wrath of God. Those animals sacrificed yearly, where literally from the temple blood flowed like a river, once a year, that was all done to appease God's wrath that was supposed to be directed to us. The animals did nothing. We brought sin into this world. They took the innocence, but God was only appeased with wrath. It only appeased God's wrath, but it did not please God. It's obedience that pleases God. And so our sin separates us from God. This is a big thing, right? Sin separates us from God. Since Adam and Eve, we are all sinners no matter what, because no matter how good of a life you live and say that, until you're not willing to submit to what God says through Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, and his death that we just talked about, thank you again, Richard, we, we cannot be saved by our own actions. Other religions will say that you can, but we cannot be saved by our own actions not the starting point. But our actions do matter. And so again, we understand. I, I if you are not a believer and never heard it before, I am sorry that I'm about to do the injustice of the quick sweep of Jesus. But please understand, this isn't quite the focal, but we need to understand, right? We understand that Christ lived an obedient life to God. He was the only sinless being to walk this planet. After Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve were sinless until they sinned. So they had a moment and it was gone. Jesus was the only one after that who actually came in sinless, being conceived of the Holy Spirit, lived an obedient life to God all the way up to the cross to become the human sacrifice that we've always needed for all of humanity the only sacrifice truly acceptable to God to bridge the gap between sin and us and God through the chasm of skin, sin that separated us, and in that when Jesus rose from the dead, sin and death were defeated, and from the grave and all that he ascended to heaven, showing his right hand of power with the Father. And we're like, praise Jesus, that's what we believe in, this is who he is. And then we find out in Revelations, the war has just begun. Because we are in a battle. We have this power, we have this hope in Jesus, and we need to have that hope in Jesus. And we need Jesus, and that's why Jesus is central to it all. But now, we have a warfare. Revelations 12 through 13. I know pastor was covering it for a while on Wednesday. I'm going to give you the quick synopsis of revelations 12 through 13. If you're not familiar with what that is, that is the dragon and the two beasts. Okay. The dragon sat there and said, all right, I am going to devour the child that this woman's about to birth. Nope. That was taken away. All right. Then I'm going to devour the woman who then became from, but so you understand the imagery. It was Israel. She had 12 stars. 12 tribes. She birthed Jesus. She became the church. There's your imagery. And so then the dragon was like, I will devour the church. Well, as we know, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And guess what? Sure enough, in Revelations, he could, the dragon could never reach the church to devour the church. And so the dragon's like, okay, fine. I will then attack her children. Who are our children? If you believe in Christ welcome you are being birthed from the church and so the dragon sat there saying i'm going to make war with these children so he sat at the sea looked out and the first beast rose and the first beast and also got the second beast to rise and when you understand this it is a perversion of the trinity because The first beast, if you look at Revelation, the imagery of the lamb, and the imagery of the first beast, you will see the first beast has a mortal wound that was healed. Perversion of Jesus mortally died and resurrected. You look at, I'm not even going to go into the second beast, but there's a lot of imagery between the the spirit of God seen in Revelations beforehand, and then you see the perversion of the spirit of, Thing that is the second beast; these three make a perverted trinity. Their goal is to deceive the world. Their goal is to direct worship away from God. That's it. Worship us, and they already know they're a losing battle. They know their end, but they're going to take as many people with them as possible. And so they are making war against us. Trying to get you and I to give up. To worship something easier. To be our own God and make an idol of a God that just makes and fits our lives. It is a battle each and every day. And sadly, the dragon and the beast know who to use. They use the world. They use the people we interact with. They come against us. But they are the people we are trying to reach. And that is why Paul says in Ephesians 6, our war is not with flesh and blood, but the principalities, right? We have to understand the spiritual battle that is happening from behind. Okay, so there's a the background. Welcome. I know, is it good news? Great. <laughs> you can see why. I was just so excited to preach about this this Sunday. All right, that's what we're in. And so there's a battle raging for us. Welcome. The dragon sees you enough as a threat to make war against you. Isn't that just an encouraging moment? You're a threat to a dragon. It's enough for me. That's why we can overcome him with the what? Word of our, te- the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Our witness and Christ's redemption. So how do we deal with sin personally? That's where we're going to start dealing with. We have this thing, but how do we deal with sin on a personal level? Well, I'm going to flip over to Colossians 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. And for time purposes, you guys can catch up to getting to Colossians 3. I'm going to start reading. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated in the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ with God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you, were, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put away all anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And have, to, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, This isn't one where you have to really just dive deep and say, I wonder what Paul is saying here. No, he's kind of (laughs) obvious. We don't have to go very deep to figure out what Paul is saying here, but we'll go ahead and say it first. How do we deal with sin personally? First, well, you gotta be raised with Christ. The first thing is you have to participate in the death and resurrection of Christ. You have to accept Christ, you have to go through that, you have to be buried from your old self and you need to rise again in redemption of Christ that only can be done through the Holy Spirit. Baptism, water baptism, is just a symbol of that, right? You're dying, you get buried, you come back up, Ah, right? That is it. So that's the first thing. But what does that involve? Fulling submitting to the fact that you cannot save yourself and you need the power of Christ. That's the first stage of obedience. I can't save myself. All right. That's easy. Next is what Paul goes right down. Then set your things, your mind to the God's things, not earthly things. The desires of this world, as we see in other scriptures, will take you from God. Read 1 John. It doesn't take you long to hit that one. So we got to set our minds on God things, because that's what actually matters eternally. And then you got to put to death your old self. Now this is, you notice, you've got to put to death. He's telling you, put to death yourself. This is a work between you and the Holy Spirit. You have to deny things. You have to kill it. You have to actively participate. If all you're doing is like, well, God, just take it away. What are you doing? We'll talk about that in a little bit. But what are you doing to deal with that? And then you got to put on a new self, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So you got to grow in the knowledge of Christ. If you want to know how to put on a new self, go back to Jesus and see what he does. Learn from him. Because as you grow in his knowledge, and his things, you will be putting on a new self. You will be learning what you are supposed to be and fighting against the desires of this flesh. Okay. Again. Snapshot. So what if we do sin? Okay, the first and obvious thing is to repent, right? I think we all got that down. (laughs) Lord, forgive me of all my sins today. If you come back in the night, may I be raptured with you, right? That used to be my beginning prayer as I was a little Christian. (laughs) I was like, just in case, God, and I'm asleep. Take me with you, right? Because I can't pray now. (laughs) I'm going to sleep, all right? Repentance is important. But repentance means you're, you're doing more than just saying, I'm sorry, God. It's a start, but it's more than that. And James 5.16 says to confess your sins one to another. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hang on now. That gets a little more uh, real and personal. <laughs> I can confess that to God all day long. <laughs> but you want to confess it to someone here? but you're supposed to. Why? Because the prayers of the righteous are amazing, as Jane said later on. They do amazing miracles. Sure, maybe in the church we need to work on things called gossip, other things, and judgments, and different things that we got to work on, but we are supposed to confess one to another. And then, you need to cut off the sin. Matthew, 5, 29 through 30 is that lovely little hyperbole, right? Of cut off the hand, pluck out the eye. Don't actually do that because we all be just maimed here. All right, Uh, let's just be really honest. It's not a literal, but Jesus is like, you need to go to the extreme. Usually we just go to step one. Let us repent and ask God for forgiveness. And then we don't do the other two. Which is not repentance. Why is this important? Well, let me be real with you in my testimony. Back when I was a Christian, I was dealing, and I was, I, I God revealed a lot to me. I had to deal with a lot of pain in the past. My parents were divorced. There was a lot of rejection I felt, and eventually, someone came into my life, and I was like, "Oh, they're interested in me. Cool." And she's pretty. That's cool. <laughs> and that was the start. It started off fine. Probably actually started a little bit before that, but I'm not going to get on that. This is where I'm going to focus. But that relationship turned into sin. Plain and simple. Now, you need to understand, I was still going to church every Sunday. Actually, I was going to church about four or five times a week. I was involved, y'all. I was at Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday, Wednesday, and sometimes even Friday. I was involved. And I knew I was sinning. And I would go every Sunday and ask God, forgive me. I didn't realize how trapped I was. It was a fight. And in the midst of all that, by the way, if you want to know how awesome a redeeming God is, he gave me my call to ministry in the midst of my sin. It was actually probably the seed planted that helped root out much of what I dealt with. But that's besides the point. One night, I did the thing, you know, in James 5.16, there was this portion before about going to the elders and getting prayed for it and healing, and they had this prayer tunnel line thing. If you've never seen that before in a Pentecostal church, it's one of the heck thing. You got, like, people on either side of you, and they're praying for you. So I went up for healing because I was dealing with something that wasn't shaking off. Lo and behold, it turned into a deliverance moment. Demons are real. Talk about a wake-up call. When I got out of that prayer line, <laughs> I knew right then and there I had to confess. And I confessed to elders, to my parents. I went over to my girlfriend at the time, took the symbol of our relationship, put her in her hand, and said, I cannot walk to a holy altar before a holy God in an unholy relationship. And that's how I broke up. I literally broke up at church, that cliche thing that everyone says don't do. No, I had to. I had to do it under the power of God because I tried to do it actually before, and it didn't work. This time was different because confession was involved. And then I cut off. And then God had to work with me and deal with me emotionally so I could figure out why I did what I did. And then I was under church discipline and restoration. I say all that and I'm being vulnerable and honest is because I get it. But I also know that that formula, in a way, works. Don't hold on to your sin. Don't think you can fight alone. It takes a church. We are in a war. And not because there's war going on in the world. It's a spiritual war. I mean, we have a literal war happening, right, in Eastern Europe right now. Imagine Ukraine just had one soldier to fight the evil that is coming upon them through Russia. You'd be like, that's ludicrous. That's a video game. That's a fairy tale. You're right, because it takes an entire nation. So why do you think you're going to fight the dragon by yourself? Stop. That's what the church is for. It can't be devoured. So use the church. Use its people who are there to war with you. And let's go to war together. And get it out of your life. And why is this important? Because it leads us into how do we handle it within the church, whether it's brothers and sisters or corporately. Here, I'm going to just quickly, you don't actually have to turn anywhere. I'm just going to reemphasize the first starting point. It's a self-check before confronting another member. This is where things get a little less popular in my sermon. (laughs) The first part, you're probably like, I don't see what the problem with this. Well, now we're going to get a little less popular with things. Again, I would say start here in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. Put on then, as God chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If you have a complaint, forgiving each other as the Lord forgave you. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Okay, before you confront anybody, let's start there. Is that your posturing? Is that what you're going to this brother or sister in christ to do or are you closer to what jesus warned against in matthew 7 1 through 7 this is where he says uh, do not judge unless you be judged in the same manner by God. Now, we're going to unpack that because you're going to feel like there's a contradiction later by Paul, but it's really not a contradiction. Because what Jesus is saying here, right, this is the one where he talks about take the log out of your eye. That would have been another object, but I didn't really have a long board I wanted to carry around today. And don't worry about the speck, which there's some carpenter bees in my garage, and so I could have actually picked up some sawdust. Uh, But, uh, you know, the log and the speck, right? Hey, you know, take your log out first, make sure, self-compassion, do all the self-checks first before you take it out of the other person. No, as Jesus said, you don't necessarily not take the speck out. He says, first do a self-check. Because if you go in there with a judging attitude, and what Jesus is talking about is the superiority of judgment, right? This is where I'm doing wrong, and I have every right to judge you because you're a sinner. And you're sinning, brother or sister in Christ. And so I must come and correct you because I'm in the right. That is not having compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving, and putting on love. And so our hearts have to be started there, starting there. Always check yourself first before confronting another member. Then, Matthew 18, 15 through 17, Jesus' words talks about confronting a brother who has sinned against you or a sister who has sinned against you. First, you go one-on-one, confront them, say, hey, listen, this is your sin. After you've done all the self-check. This is your sin. And they're like, Psh, I'm not repenting. Oh, okay. So what do you do? You come back with a couple others of witnesses and say, "Hey, this is your sin. We need to deal with this. You've sinned against me, or whatever the case may be." And and if the person's like, "Psh, I don't care. I'm not repenting. I did nothing wrong. God loves me, anyways." Okay. So then you bring them to the church corporately. <laughs> this is where it gets a little weird, right? Could you imagine? Someone has to stand up here and said, this is a sin. It's proven. And they're like, I'm still not going to repent. What do you do? Do you know what Jesus says? Anyone? This is, this is actually not a rhetorical question. What? Kick them out. Excommunicate them. They don't like that word because that's Catholic. <laughs> no. That is just Jesus. Excommunicate them. You're like, that's harsh. We don't want to see them leave. Oh, well, let's go to Paul and say why. Because Paul had a moment in Corinthian church that says, you better get rid of those and that kind of sin. That's in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13. Here's Paul writing to the corinthian church it's actually it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you imagine that start it's actually reported like you guys are actually reporting this to me that you actually have this going on in your church right now paul is like dumbfounded and amazed right here it is actually reported this is like our kids saying literally dad this literally is happening The kids cringe again. Anyways, it's actually reported that there is sexual marriage among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. (laughs) I don't know. That is just so wrong. Anyways, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in the body, I am present in the spirit. If present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present the, with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Meaning turn him over, let God's wrath happen. If you ever read Romans 1, that is God's wrath. He turns you over your sin and sin and sin. And the idea is hopefully in the midst of all that in your lifestyle that you might actually come to wisdom and say, oops, maybe I should go back to God. That is what Paul's saying. Because if you keep coddling them and keeping them in there, why would they ever repent? Let's be honest. There's some sins that I would rather have that <laughs> make my life a lot easier. Things that I don't want to do. We can't coddle it. You live as man a saint, right? And then it's verse six, your boasting is not good. They are literally boasting about this. Do you hear this? Not only does this church tolerate it, they are basically saying, We're all loved by God, and God's grace abounds so much, it doesn't matter what we do. Look, we have a guy sleeping with his dad's wife. A little awkward? A little off? Yet this is what this church is doing. They're celebrating this. They're boasting about it. (laughs) Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. As you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Get rid of it. We just did communion. I'm not going to do communion again. But what he is saying is, you allow, tolerate that sin knowingly, you risk the entire church. The entire congregation is at risk if you start tolerating sin. And so again, let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, but the, leaven of, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Notice sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. Not all meaning that sexual immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters since you would need to go out to the world, meaning we're not talking about people outside the church. Please go associate with them. (laughs) Did he just say that? Yeah, because how are you going to witness? Sorry, there are too many Christian circles that are too safe. They don't even know what a sinner is. I haven't taken time to listen. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or sister. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders, sinners outside the church? It is not those, is it? Not those inside the church whom you are to judge. You ever hit those people and those Christians that say, you can't judge me. <laughs> nope, sorry. Actually, that's our job as a church. Go back to the beginning, compassionate hearts and all that stuff. But it's actually our job to judge sin in the church. Because we understand it cannot stay. God judges the outside, those outside Purge the evil person from among you. That sets me up in my next one, if you haven't figured it out. It really flows nicely. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So we can't tolerate. We cannot tolerate sin in our church. We can't. I mean, let's be honest. Again, I said we have sex scandals, financial scandals, racism, gossip, greed, reviler. That's someone who criticizes in an abusive or hostile or spread negative info. Doesn't matter. Didn't say it was false info. Negative info. Verbally attacking, calling names, or saying mean things. That's a reviler. Look it up. I did. That's thanks to Google. Idolatry. These are the things, right? We have them all there. We gotta cleanse them. We've gotta purge them. It is our job. God judges the outsiders. We judge those within. If we are submitting to the spirit, then we should be able to judge ourselves as a church. I'm going to put that there too. You have to submit to the spirit first. It starts there. So then how do we deal with sinners outside the church? Oh, my goodness, I might. Nah, why am I going to give you that promise? (laughs) How do we deal with it outside of church? Well, if we're Christians, and that means we're little Christs, let's go to Christ. Christ. Let's see what Christ's mission is in chapter 12 of John. Sorry, John chapter 12, 44 through 48. It's titled, Gotta love titles. I don't like them actually. I wish we could remove them all because they start skewing our brains to something and breaking things up that aren't supposed to be broken up. But Jesus came to save the world. We can say amen to that. Let's start with it. Amen. All right. And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but him who sent me. That's an amen. Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. We're probably like, Yeah. And I have come into the world, the world as light, and, whoever, and so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Amen, yeah. And if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. Wait, what? What did Jesus just say? He's not going to judge who? Those outside. Wait a minute. Hold on. Yeah, that's what Jesus said. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. We're going to see where judgment takes place. We are representing Christ on earth through the spirit of the holy mission, the same Holy Spirit that gave this Christ's word. Where are we? Start that, let that start brewing in your head. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Our job is not to judge this world. Our job is to present the gospel through Jesus Christ and his words and let them decide if they are going to reject it or not. When the disciples were rejected, what was their, their symbolic motion? I remember? Yeah, take the dust off your feet. That's their judgment. AKA, they rejected Christ and his words. Leave it be. That's their judgment. Not make some Facebook posts. Tell them how bad of a sinner they are. Go around. You sin Just walk away. Simple as that. Why do you need to do more? Jesus doesn't. I'm not more holy than Jesus. (laughs) I can promise you that. If I'm supposed to carry the mission of Christ, then maybe I should do the mission of Christ. At no point should my words ever get in the way of someone being saved from Christ. Do not ever put your words of judging this world and saying that is Christ's judgment against the world because Jesus didn't even come to judge the world. He came to save it. Let it sink in. It gets a little bit more real in this one, doesn't it? This is what we really don't like to hear. Don't think I didn't have to pluck some big <laughs> I got. I got to work through those things. Just like you have to work through those things. But why should my words and actions keep anyone from hearing the gospel of Jesus? How many times have I sat there? If you, again, I said I work. I'm a military chaplain. I work along in a pluralistic society. It is a pluralistic world. And you know how many, I'm going to just, because it's Pride Month, how many homosexuals have to sit there and wait? I can see the anxiety in their body language, y'all. They are going, they start telling me their lifestyle and they are ready because I have a cross on my collar Mm -hmm. and they are ready for me to berate them. Why? Because that is what the church has done to them. Have you talked to a homosexual before? Truly listened? Heard their stories from the church? Again, we can eradicate from the church. Don't get me wrong. But those outside... They see us with nothing but hate. I'm not saying necessarily you, I'm saying the church. They see us with hate. Why would they wanna to listen to Jesus if we as the representatives treat him with hate? We treat him with truth and sincerity. We present a gospel of love And acceptance, but we also present it that there is sin. And we are all sinners and we all must eradicate that sin. It doesn't really matter what the sin is. It's all bad. It separates us from God. The end. This is the warfare. If you need more convincing about Jesus and his things, go over just a few chapters back in John chapter 8. We'll just start with verse two. Technically, this portion of scripture in early manuscripts kind of was not there and then it was later put in there and so people are like, should it be there? And I'm like, oh, absolutely, I love this portion of scripture. <laughs> early in the morning he came, meaning Jesus, to the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in idolatry, placing her in, his, in the midst. And they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of idolatry, or sorry, not idolatry, adultery. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? And this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote in the, with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No, Lord, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Remember my object lesson? They probably had the rocks in their hands. They were probably ready. The reason there was a trap is because under Roman law, only the Romans could authorize the death sentence. So if Jesus authorized that they stone her, they can bring him against the sin of the government, even though it was in the law of Moses. That was the trap. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is wise enough to see through this. He knows. It doesn't take much. Okay, Pharisees and scribes, you holy ones, you righteous ones. (laughs) Throw that first stone if you've never sinned. Just went back down. Just drew in the sand. We don't know. There's always the theories, but we don't know. Oh, my time's up. I don't care. You can just take that out. (laughs) Instead, they probably just sat there with their rocks, dropped them. walked away. The older ones knowing the wisdom that Jesus just said. The younger ones like, oh, okay, I guess we're all just going to walk away now. Probably going to ask that elder later, like, why did we just walk away from this? And then the one who had no sin, who could have picked up every single one of those stones and righteously killed her by his own words, says, neither do I condemn you. Sin no How many of us are Pharisees with rocks in our hands? Originally, I was gonna give everyone a rock in this room, but I figured for my own safety, I better keep it away. (laughs) My rock. (laughs) How many of us still carry the rock in our hand every day we go into the world? Have you forgotten where you came from? Have you forgotten we're all sinners saved by grace? We're not supposed to sin anymore. That's not tolerated. We have to work with the Holy Spirit and the church and the body and everything. I get that. And we got to grow in the knowledge of Christ. But why are you so different than the person outside of there? Because you could be that in no time flat. It just takes one event cascading down into a sin spiral if you don't confess. How many rocks has a church thrown? And driven away, the people were called to. Way too many. And they continue to be thrown. So how do we deal with this other world? Probably can go back to that Colossians part. Love, kindness, compassion. Non-judgmentally, according to Jesus, because he didn't. Present Jesus' words of hope and salvation. And let them decide. If they reject, they're not rejecting you, they're just rejecting Christ. But they can still love them. If they're in your family, they can still eat dinner with you. If they're at your work, sit down and lunch with them. Why are you afraid of them? Why are we so afraid? Jesus sat with tax collectors. He didn't care about his image. The Pharisees said, What are you doing sitting with those guys, these sinners? You sit with tax collectors and prostitutes, and Jesus is like, Yeah, they're the ones that are sick. I'm not here for the the healthy. The irony of that statement. I'm not here for the healthy, I'm here for the sick. What are you here for? Yeah. The lost, the sick. So I ask, are you going to put that rock down? Are you that much more holy? Yes, we're a holy people, don't get me wrong. But our origins are all the same. We were sinners. And it took one person presenting the gospel through love. Because I doubt anyone really accepted Christ through some hatred words. Anyone in this room, really? I just need to know because you will be one heck of an anomaly. Who here accepted Christ when someone was throwing hateful words and despising you and telling you how horrible you really are? No, we probably were all saved with the grace and the love and the compassionate. Guess what? The world is watching and judging us. It may not feel fair. Wait, we're not supposed to judge the world, but the world gets to judge us? Yep. They're wondering. Who is Jesus really is that we represent? The generations after us, whatever they are, you may have two generations after you, you may have three, you may have one like me. They are looking at us and saying, is this what church is all about? Are they hypocrites? Are they haters? Do they even love people that are, who are not the same as them? Do they not care about those dying? Are they worried more about their pride and posturing? We have the church, meaning the whole church, have sins throughout history in the name of Christ. Violence and wars, racism, bigotry. Not the same as convictions, I want to make that clear, but bigotry. Sexism, greed, sexual immorality of all sorts idolatry to include patriotism or political parties, and more. Happened back in the king's days too, right? The convenient king was divinely appointed, and so with whatever the king said, it was God. And all the people said, okay. They didn't really have a choice either, but okay. Too many have corrupted the name of Christ for their own. And as for this church, I'm going to say it's a challenge to see our blind spots. We need to ask God to take our blinders off to ensure that we are without sin. And for you and for everybody around here, to start is examine yourself. Probably isn't too hard. You probably know if you're sinning or not, if you're struggling with sin. Second, we need to examine our corporate body. What sins are we perpetuating within ourselves and within this body? We need to get rid of those. Or hope that those will repent. But there's probably some corporate ones that we got to look at. And thirdly, how are we treating the sinners? Are we walking with stones? Are representing the nail pierced hands of Christ. That blocks the nail pierced hands. Can't see a nail piercing through a rock. Somber. It's quiet. The Holy Spirit settles here. I am going to pray, but during that prayer, because there are people online, the first thing I want to do is I, I never want to miss the opportunity. If you have never accepted Christ, and you are saying, I understand I need Christ, I understand that I cannot save myself, and I want to live a life where the peace and the love of Christ rules in my heart. I, can, uh, I told you we're in a war, I can't promise you it's all <laughs> bubbles, skittles, and rainbows, and stuff of that nature. I can't tell you it's all nice, but I can tell you that through all the calamities in this world, I am so happy. I have hope of a future and a peace in Christ. And if you are sitting there in turmoil and have ever wondered, what is that sp- turning in my stomach? That's the Holy Spirit. I ask you, if that is you, if you've never accepted Christ, I kind of want you to my left because I want to make sure elders and others who can come pray for you, we can identify you. because we wanna, I want to make sure you're getting hooked up with people who can mentor you. And if you're on whatever virtual platform I'm being, I think it's Facebook Live right now, but I probably will be out somewhere else. Find some local church. The next are those struggling and needing to confess sins, and maybe even those who have been judging the world, those who have been holding too many stones in their hands. I want you on this side. I'm not going to call out. I also want elders and people praying for you. I'm not going to ask for music to be playing in the background because I don't know who needs it. And I don't want to take this moment from anybody. But I ask you to examine yourself. If you are truly struggling with a sin, please confess. Don't fight alone. And if you're one of those who are judging the world, then we need to pray that God has changed your heart and that the love and the compassion of Christ comes through. Because guess what? That's still sin. scripture says we're not supposed to. So again, as I pray, if you feel that call or you feel like you need that prayer, then I'm going to ask you during that time to come forward. For video purposes, we can cut it off after I'm done with my prayer, and, and we'll let the real work, in a sense, begin. So let us pray. Lord, I pray for all here, and all who are listening to my voice at this time. Lord, we have all came from that origin. <sighs> Lord, if there's any of my voices who need your, just need you to start with, who, who didn't know how lost they were, Lord, we just ask that they come to know you and they have that relationship. Hook them up with the brothers and sisters who will guide them in truth. but my heart is also heavy for all those who are struggling, Lord, with sins. May they be delivered. May your power and the Holy Spirit come in them, transform them. May they know how to put on the new self, putting off and putting to death that old self. And help us not judge this world. Help us to drop the rocks and show the nail-pierced hands. Let us never be a hindrance with our words and our deeds for they should all be done in Christ. We ask you for, our, for forgiveness. We ask you for, for, for forgiveness for the times that we have stumbled and fallen. And so as we go on this week, may these words sit in our heart. May we look at ourselves, examine ourselves, may we show the love the light and the salt of you to this world for they are in darkness and you are the light so let us bring the light into the darkness and let us war against this dragon and overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony in Jesus' mighty name Amen Amen